know, um, this, this time of year, we have a lot of thoughts. Our thoughts begin to turn, and we think about family. We think about, you know, what we have or what we don't have. And it's really easy to scroll social media and, uh, and see all the things that you don't have, you know. Every good thing that happens in life these days is celebrated on social media right, right in front of our eyes. You know, every time somebody gets a new car or a new house or a dream wedding or exotic vacation or they get an award or have some kind of accomplishment, a meaningful moment, uh, they celebrate with friends, there's family celebrations. And, you know, if you're not careful, what happens to many of us is we wake up thinking, man, I didn't get enough sleep last night and, man, I don't have enough time to get everything done I need to do today. And then we go to bed and think, man, I didn't have enough time I didn't get enough done today before I went to bed. And we can live in this sense of uh, perceived scarcity. And then we open up our social media and we scroll there. And it looks like that everybody on there is having the best life that you can have. Now, nobody tells you. They, most people only put the good things on there. Uh, they don't put everything on there. It's easy to compare ourselves to, to a snapshot of someone else's life and wish that we had their life. It's easy to look at the unfair circumstances in our life and look around at somebody else's life and say, man, I wish I had their circumstances. I wish my life was a little more like theirs. And I, I, I know that uh, we've all met people who just have a lot of stuff. You know, maybe they've been given a lot of privilege or a lot of wealth or a lot of stuff, and you look at their life and they're just ungrateful to the core. And we look at them and we go, how could you be so ungrateful and you have all this, you know, stuff? Then on the other hand, I hope that you've had the opportunity to know someone who is, you know, has very little. Maybe, maybe an impoverished person, a poor person who's grateful. And you might be tempted to look at them and say, how could they, how could they have so little but yet still be so grateful? I, have been following our missions team in Nicaragua. We have a team down there that's been serving all week, building a church and ministering to children. It's the second poorest nation in the entire uh, Western Hemisphere. And uh, I was caught yesterday by one of our team members who posted this. She said, I'm thankful for water. Today is probably the first time I've seen people who actually are just looking for something to drink because they live by the city landfill with no running water. Right in the middle of one of our ministry presentations, this little girl, she writes, went up to her and pulled on her, her pant legs and said, Agua. In that moment, she didn't need a song and she didn't need a coloring book. She just needed a drink. I bet you if you were to ask our team who will be coming back in the next couple of days, I bet if you were to ask them, did you meet any really poor people who are grateful? I bet you they would say, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, we really did. And we might think when we look at a person like that, in those circumstances, what do they possibly have to be grateful for? And I know our team will have stories like that. But here's the thing with gratitude. Gratitude isn't about what you have, and it's not about what you don't have. Gratitude is about how you look at your life. So when I look at my life through the lens of gratitude, all of a sudden what I see are all the things I have. When I look at my life through the lens of ingratitude, all I can see is what's missing. 
All I can see is what I don't have or what somebody else has that I wish I had. Gratitude is a lens that we see life through. So this morning we're finishing up this series we call 21 Days of Gratitude. And I know many of you have been practicing. And I've been so, it's been such a great uh, November to go online and pull up social media and see all these posts about 21 days of gratitude, day 5, day 8, day 10, and to see all the things people are grateful for. We've made a difference. I don't know if you know that. We've made a difference in the conversation. Like, like it's made an impact on people's life, both here locally and even, even wider than that. But we're finishing this series this morning on uh, gratitude. And what I want to share with you this morning is why a grateful life is a better life. Okay? got three reasons today I want to give you why a grateful life is a better life. Number one, a, a grateful life is a Christ-like life. In all the things in Jesus' life, it would be very easy to overlook the fact that Jesus was a grateful person. We think about his power. We think about his miracles. We think about his wisdom. We think about his teaching. We think about a lot of those things. But Jesus was a grateful person. In Scripture, he sent out 72 disciples. And when those 72 disciples returned, one of the first things he did is he stopped and gave thanks to the Father for the things that they learned. Before Jesus resurrected Lazarus from the dead, before the Father even answered that prayer, Jesus stopped and gave thanks to the Father that he answered prayer. When Jesus multiplied the bread and the fish and fed 5,000 people as he was about to distribute it, he stopped and gave thanks to the Father. I think the most startling time in Jesus' life of gratitude was hours before he was tortured and crucified. He gave thanks at least three times. In that moment, he would have had, none of us would have blamed him if he would have been self absorbed. Or if he would have been ungrateful or frustrated or complaining, not one, after all I've done for humanity, I've done miracles and I've fed people and I've relieved suffering, after all I've done and now you're going to treat me like this? We would have all said, well, yeah, I kind of get it. But three times, Jesus stopped and expressed gratitude. Even though he had every reason to be ungrateful because his actions flowed out of a heart of gratitude. Reminds me uh, when I was uh, about 19 or 20, my great-grandmother, who had uh, been a pastor's wife for 67 years. (laughs) That's a a minute. (laughs) 67 years. And she would suffer in great pain in her back. She was in her early 90s. And I came home one break uh, to visit her, or to, to visit and go to church with my family. And uh, she couldn't come to church. She was hurting too bad. So we went over after church, and they said, you know, w- would you go in and pray for her? And I'll never forget this scene as long as I live. My 90-something-year-old great-grandmother was lying in the living room floor because it was the place she could gain the most relief from her back pain and she was repeating something in this faint little voice and I had to get close to her to even hear what she was repeating and she was repeating this phrase you do all things well God you do all things well God you do all things well 
And I didn't even know, I knew it was a scripture, I didn't even know where it came from. It came from uh, Luke chapter 7 when um, Jesus had healed a man. And, and in that passage, or I'm sorry, Mark chapter 7, uh, the people responded after Jesus' healing and said, Jesus has done all things well. And in that moment, she wasn't saying, you know, I, I, was, I served the Lord in ministry for 67 years. I've been faithful to God throughout my adult life. She didn't say any of those things. She lied there on the floor. And what echoes in my spirit today is she said, Lord, you do all things well. She was somehow giving God thanks for his perfect work, even in the middle of her own suffering. You know what I find is startling? No one took Jesus' life away from him. No one snatched it. They didn't have to pry it out of his hands. He didn't lock his life down like this and say, you may kill me, but you're going to have to do it by force. Jesus laid his life down in gratitude for the privilege of obeying his Father. Now that is a, that is a startling reality. A grateful life is a better life because it's a Christ-like life. Here's the second thought. A grateful life is a life focused on the goodness of God. Do you know there's only actually one appropriate response to the mercy, the goodness, salvation, healing, miracles, teaching? The, the, um, the Bible says every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. Every good thing in our life. There's only one actual appropriate response to the goodness of God in our life, and it's gratitude. Because we can't earn, we can't deserve, we can't be good enough, we can't live up to, we can't be perfect, we can't fix ourselves, we can't work our way out of it. The only actual appropriate response to the goodness of God is gratitude. Psalm 140.13 says, Surely the righteous will praise your name and the upright will live in your presence. See, gratitude is like a thermometer. It will actually read the temperature of your heart. Your level of gratitude will explain to you how much you love God, how close you are to God, how much you're focusing on the goodness of God in your life. So if gratitude flows naturally from your life, it's a sign that you're walking close to Jesus. If ingratitude flows naturally from your life, if complaint and negativity and a chronically bad attitude flows naturally from your life, it tells you you're not walking very close to Jesus. I mean, everybody has their moments. So how close are you to God today? What if the answer was no closer than your gratitude? What if that was the answer? You know, this week a lot of us will gather in different homes and with our family and we'll, um, we'll take a moment after days and days of grocery shopping and some blessed little person in your family will have cooked their fingers to the bone. You know, and we'll gather around and suck it down in about 18 minutes. You know, it'll be gone and go, is the football game on, you know? How many of you are cooks? How many of you are cooking? Oh, if you're cooking, yeah, yeah, I'm so sorry. But you'll gather and you'll do all this stuff. Then there comes this moment that in a lot of people's family is sort of a moment of confusion because we all know that, you know, it's Thanksgiving and we put all this food on the table and you know, before we eat it, we, whether you pray over your food all the time or you don't, there's this sense at Thanksgiving we ought to at least stop and pray, right? 
But, but what I've noticed is there isn't really any clear rules on how this ought to happen. Like, if you get in a big family gathering, you always look around and go, who, sh- who should pray? You know, is it the most spiritual person should pray because they're closest to God? Or should it be the patriarch or the matriarch because they're the oldest? You know, or who, who, who should do the prayer? You know, if you're a pastor, a lot of times you, you get invited to fit in that role. And then we've all been to those family gatherings where somebody, for some reason, unbeknownst to us, asked the wrong person to pray. We all know who that is. The wrong person. They pray for about 15 minutes in King James. You know, so, come on, right? And the food is getting icicles on it. And all you little cooks out there that have been working for about three or four days are like, please, I don't even know if I'm allowed under God to say this out loud, but you have to stop praying. Because, like, I worked way too long for this moment. You know what I'm saying? And then there's the person that hadn't prayed in 15 years. And sometimes somebody asks them to pray. And we just all get that feeling in our stomach, like, I'm so sorry. This is such a, this is such a painful moment, you know, for all of us, right? I don't know, somebody needs to write a rule book on like family meal prayer because then, then you have the invitation like, hey, would you pray over the food? What does that mean? Am I supposed to levitate over the food while I pray over it? Am I supposed to let my prayer hover over it like a blanket? Or say the blessing, is the food cursed? You know, do we have to break something off of it? We just don't have a lot of clarity. You watch. If you'll pay attention Thursday, there'll be a moment you'll go, I remember, we talked about this. Here's the question for us today, though. However awkward that moment may or may not be, does gratitude flow naturally out of your heart? That's the real question for all of us. It's the question for me. It's the question for you. Does gratitude flow naturally out of your heart? Because it tells you a lot about what you focus on in your life. There's always going to be bad things to focus on. Like the world's not going to up one day and just slip on a banana peel and run out of bad. You know? We're not going to accidentally run out of bad circumstances. The world's never going to fix itself. Things are never go- the earth's never going to be heaven. And so there's always going to be bad things. There's always going to be negative things. There's always going to be bad circumstances to focus on. And if you focus on them, you will battle with ingratitude. Now let me tell you why it's bad to battle with ingratitude. Here's some things an ungrateful person cannot do. Ungrateful people cannot be generous. You know why? They're convinced they don't have enough. Ungrateful people can never be happy because they are convinced that they've been mistreated. Ungrateful people don't remember the blessings they have because somebody else always has more than they do. Ungrateful people can't be humble because they did it all themselves. Like they made their own life. They made their own choices. They earned it. They sacrificed. They got ahead. Ungrateful people can't love people because no one's ever done anything good for them. And ungrateful people can't please God. Ungrateful people can't please God. If you focus on God's goodness, gratitude will overflow out of your life. When I was a a young Christian uh, in my early 20s, um, I came across this prayer outline that by and large for the last 30 years, I've, I've used it in my own prayer time. And there's this one point in the prayer time that's, a, that's, a, that's an area for where you just thank God for something. And I've tried 
you know, for 30 years, when I, when I do my devotions, when I have my prayer time, to spend time every time saying, okay, God, what, what, if, what are you doing in my life? What have you done in my life? What is present in my life? And how can I give back gratitude to you today? And can I tell you that practice over years has made a, such a difference in my life, in my own, in my own peace, in my own joy, in my own contentment. It's got me through some really difficult times. And I hope that you found just a little bit of that and this, these 21 days will end on Thanksgiving morning, but these 21 days of sharing something you're grateful for, I hope that you found that. And you know what I really hope? I'm doing the whole sermon today because I really hope you won't stop. I don't, it doesn't matter if you put it on social media or not, but I hope that it'll become a part of your life. I hope that practicing gratitude will become part of your life. Because when you practice gratitude, you, you focus on the goodness of God. And that's a better life than focusing on all the other bad things that are going on because there's always going to be bad things going on. So here's the, here's the last one, number three. A grateful life is a peace-filled life. If I were to sit across the table from you this morning and we were to just sit one-on-one -on -one and talk in private, and you were to share with me what, in this season of your life, what is taking your peace from you? What is challenging your peace? What's disrupting your sense of peace? Is it a, um, is it a physical problem? Is it a health problem? Is it a, a stress at work? Yeah, maybe, maybe you cry yourself to sleep every night because you have an issue with one of your children, a son or a daughter, a child, an adult son or daughter, that you just don't have any control over and it's not going well. Maybe it's a conflict in marriage and your peace is just gone. Maybe it's anxiety, maybe it's mental health, maybe it's fear, maybe it's worry, maybe it's sleeplessness. Maybe it's the bondage of addiction you don't know how to break. And man, it is just wreaking havoc on your sense of peace. <laughs> what would you say if you could? You know, it's already, it's already in your mind. And we, we all know we should pray about that stuff. But there is one other thing you can do about it. I highly suggest that you pray about it. But there's one other thing you can do. And Philippians 4 tells us, verse 6 and 7, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, look at this, with thanksgiving. A lot of times when we read that scripture, if you're familiar with that, we focus on the other parts of it. But this morning I just want to, and they're all true and they're all helpful and they're all good, but this morning I just want to focus on that part. With Thanksgiving. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, so pray about it, with thanksgiving present your request to God. Look at this. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. When you bring your needs to God with gratitude, He promises peace. Now, now is it possible that one of the reasons that we have such Little peace is because we have such little gratitude. Is it possible that gratitude and peace are more connected 
Is it possible that's what that passage is actually trying to teach us? That peace and gratitude are actually connected? Beth Moore actually took this passage and rewrote it. As if to say, what if we did the opposite of that? Listen to how she rewrote it. She said this, do not be calm about anything. Don't, don't point at anybody. <laughs> don't elbow them. Do not be calm about anything, but in everything, by dwelling on it constantly and feeling picked on by God with thoughts like, and this is the thanks I get. You ready? Present your aggravations to everyone you know but God. Please go tell everybody. Hey, if that's the case, please lose my email. And the acid in your stomach, which transcends all milk products, will cause an ulcer and the doctor bills will cause you a heart attack and you'll lose your mind. Isn't that a better way to live? So good. Why wouldn't we just choose that? So much better than gratitude, isn't it? What if our prayers of gratitude were as well developed as our prayers of request? Think a minute. What if our thoughts and our and our words of gratitude were as well developed as our thinking and our words about what we need or what's going wrong or what circumstances we can't seem to solve. What if, I'm not saying we don't pray, I'm not saying we don't talk, I'm not saying we don't seek counsel, I'm just saying what if our thoughts of gratitude over what we actually did have, do have, were as well developed as our focus and our thoughts and our prayers and our requests and our thinking and our cry for help over the things we don't have? What if we just matched those? So, so about six or seven months ago, I was in a place like that. This has been a difficult year for our family. I was trying to decide how I would care for my wife and how if I would move her in a nursing home because I couldn't care for her at home anymore and the weight of it just sat on my life. I've never, I've never known pain like that in my whole life. It just sat on me and hovered over me. And I read this parable in Scripture about this uh, widow woman who came to God and kept knocking on the door. And the Bible says because she keeps knocking, God would open the door. And so I thought, that's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to put my head down and I'm going to pray every day. And I'm going to beat the door of heaven down until God does something. And so I did. I came. I'd say, God, here I am again. I'm knocking. God, I'm knocking. Lord, I'm knocking on the door. I'm knocking on the door. I'm knocking on the door. Open the door. Do something. Make a change. Make a shift. Do something. And I did that for about six or seven months. And I got to a point where I was completely exhausted. I'd wore myself out. I couldn't muster the energy to go again. And finally, I just said, God, I... I quit. I just quit. Because I can't do it again. I can't go again. And I had, I had worked myself up into a place where my peace was gone. And I was so frustrated and so stressed. And just poured it out on him. Just beating on that door. Come on, God. Come on, let today be the day. The door never opened. So finally, I came to God one day and I said, I quit. I think what I'm going to do now is I'm not knocking on the door again. If you want to open the door, open the door. But I'm not knocking anymore. I'm just going to show up 
and I'm just going to spend time with you and I'm just going to be with you. And that's what I'm going to do. Because there are some things that you pray about that you hope God will answer one way and He won't. He's not always going to answer every prayer the way that we hope that He will. So what do you do when that happens? Well, I feel like I got to that place. So I said, God, I quit. Not knocking, I'm going to show up and I'm going to be with you and I'm going to spend time with you. And I tried to go back to those years, 30 years ago, when I just started practicing gratitude in my prayer. And I said, God, I'm really not, I mean, I can pretend, but I got a feeling God knows. You know, something tells me. So I said, I'm not really going to pretend. I'm not really grateful for much today because I'm hurting. But I want to be. And as I would walk and pray, try to practice gratitude, and I'd say, God, there really are some good things in my life. Sometimes because I hurt so bad, I feel like there aren't, but there really are. And little by little, I just started to thank Him for those things and kind of chipped my way out of this frozen ice rock I'd gotten myself into. And little by little, God's presence began to minister to my life and refill my life with peace. And can I tell you this? A grateful life is better because it protects us from being overwhelmed. It's better. When I, when I, when I express gratitude, my needs shrink. When I express ingratitude, my needs grow. They get so much bigger and heavier and just rest on my shoulders and seem unfixable. If we prayed prayers of gratitude as often as we worried, do you think we'd have more peace? Philippians says, not just peace, it actually explains what kind of peace. Peace that guards our hearts and minds. Listen to this. Guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Protects our mind. What does it protect our mind from? Fear? Worry? Doubt? Disappointment? Discontentment? Frustration? Anger? It protects it guards our hearts and minds from the broken parts of this world that will just shatter you. Just shatter you if you let it. Would you stand with me this morning? If you're online watching now or, you know, maybe even in the future, man, the presence of God is here and our prayer team's ready to pray with you. And I wish you'd just go to the comment section and just type out whatever prayer need you have and our prayer team will meet you there. I'll give you another thing to do today. Why don't you just jump over to the comment section and also if if you have a prayer need, bring it. But if you have something you're grateful for, why don't you just comment right now? And man, our prayer team would love to get in there and celebrate with you on what you're grateful for. Wouldn't that be good? Why don't we do that here? Why don't you close your eyes for a minute? And rather than thinking 
what am I grateful for? Rather, why don't you just start to think, what do I have? What part of my life is good? What is going right? What is going good? What, what do I have that's, that's working? And as that comes to your mind, why don't you just go ahead and start to thank God for it right now? Why don't you just say out loud, God, I thank you. I thank you for this. I thank you for my marriage. I thank you for grace. I thank you for my health. I thank you for my job. Why don't you just go ahead and begin to start giving him thanks?